Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. God called me to be a Bible teacher. I've done it ever since I was in junior high. That's my role in the church. But I'm a slow reader and with low comprehension, and I have a much worse than average memory. Why would God call me to be a Bible teacher and then make me in such a way that I really struggle with things that are essential for being a good teacher? Why would he do that? And how about you? Isn't it true that you have some major weakness right in the middle of the area that God has called you to minister? Why does God do that? God wants the teachers to be the overseers in the church. And here's why. It's because knowledge of God's Word is more important than administrative skill when it comes to decision-making in the church. So with that strong current flowing through the New Testament, pointing to the value and the importance of the teaching role in the church, it's a little bit of a surprise when you get to James 3, and he comes out, out of the gate and just discourages his readers from becoming teachers. What's happening here? Is James going against the flow of the rest of the New Testament? And another question, how did James put this principle into practice back when he made the decision to become a teacher? Right? Because he's a teacher. We know he did that. He he decided to become a teacher because look at verse 3. He says, because you know that we who teach, verse 2, we who teach will be judged more strictly. Right? He includes himself. We who teach. So, So in spite of his own warning, James made the decision, go ahead and become a teacher. Evidently, James wants some people to read this verse and say, okay, I see what you're saying, James, but I'm going to go ahead and become a teacher anyway. And he wants other people to read this verse and say, wow, now that I understand that, I'm not going to be a teacher. James' purpose in writing this passage is to weed that second group out of the the pool of potential teachers. He doesn't want to discourage that first group from teaching, but he does want to discourage the second group from teaching. And so let's let's just take a look at the context here and see if we can figure out who's in which group here. Who are these people? Who's in the second group? Who are these people who want to be teachers but shouldn't? They need to give that up. I think we can answer that question in two ways. If we look backwards into the preceding context, we can see James just got done rebuking some people that he called fools in verse 20 of chapter 2. They are fools because they made too much of a separation between faith and works. Remember, they didn't understand the relationship, and so they they ended up teaching easy believism, and and, and it's bad doctrine. They're fools. Obviously, a person who who doesn't have an understanding of sound doctrine shouldn't be a teacher. That person's not ready to be a teacher. 1 Timothy 1.7 says they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So people people like that, they got a strong desire to teach, but obviously not ready. So that's, that's, that's one kind of person that James uh, would discourage from being a teacher, but I don't think that's his primary focus. There's another group that James wants to weed out of the pool. They're people who, who, they might have great doctrine, and they might be really smart, be excellent communicators, but they've got one particular problem that should keep them out of the teaching ministry until that problem is solved. And James is going to spend the whole rest of the body, the main body of the book of James, addressing that problem. 
And it's the problem, you'll see it in every section from here on out. And it's the problem of pride. In chapter 5, just kind of work backwards from the end, chapter 5, he rebukes the rich people who thought they were better than the poor people. At the end of chapter 4, he rebukes the people who were boasting and bragging about their future plans and were uh, relying on themselves instead of God. Right before that, he rebukes people who were, who were judging others and looking down on them, thinking they're better. And before that, uh, there's this whole section calling them to repentance for their pride because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So all of that's what's coming in the rest of the book, but the nearest context is right here in chapter 3. And you heard Colton read it at the end of his reading. We see here in chapter 3, after James gets done describing the power of the tongue, this section on the tongue, he gives us a contrast between the good kind of wisdom and the bad kind of wisdom. And the primary marks of the bad kind are envy and selfish ambition. There are people who want to be teachers because they've got all this wisdom, but it's the bad kind of wisdom, and you can tell that because it's marked by envy and selfish ambition. You see that in verse 14 and again in verse 16. Now, the term selfish ambition refers to people who they want a title. They want honor. They want to be respected. They want to be looked up to. They're wise in their own eyes, and they want status. They want popularity. And the envy part comes when those people tend to be hostile towards the people who have those positions that they covet. You see this all the time. They think, I'm the one who should be standing up there. I'm the one who should have that position. And, and Jesus warned people us, uh, warned us about people like that in Matthew 23, 7. He, he said they love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Rabbi means my great one. Oh, they love, that's just music to their ears. Yeah, call me rabbi. They love having titles, honor, respect. The reverend, doctor, you know, whatever. These people are, Usually pretty easy to spot when they come here to Agape because they, they'll come and they'll say, I want to teach right off the bat. I want to teach. I want to teach. And so we'll say, okay, great. Uh, how about you start out? Maybe you can teach a youth group. We need someone to teach a youth group this week. And they're not interested. There's no title that goes along with that. There's no special honor that goes. I mean, there's no reputation. No, people aren't even going to know they're doing it, most of the people in church. And so, so they're, they're not interested. These are the kind of people that say, you know, that right away, I want to be an elder, I want to be a deacon, I want this. And, and, they, and we say, well, well what, what leadership ministry are you doing right now? And, well, nothing just yet, but boys, here's what, here's what my plans are as soon as I'm ordained. That's someone who they care about the title more than they care about the work. Those are the last people you ever want to place in leadership. Leadership in the church and especially in the teaching ministry is a place where there's a constant temptation to pride. I mean, it's it's a bad place to enter if you already have a pride problem because there's so much temptation. A lot of it's because you're all so gracious. I mean, you're, you, people are kind to their teachers. When you when you when you teach a class, uh, and the people are responsive, that that puffs up your pride. And if they're not responsive, that's pretty. I mean, if you teach a class, starts out at forty, and after four weeks, it's down to six. That's that's pretty humiliating, right? But on the other way, if it starts at 6 and then it goes up to 4, and you have to keep changing rooms because it keeps getting bigger and bigger and people are crowding in, even the most humble man is going to be tempted to be puffed up with pride when that happens. And so there's a constant temptation to cater to people's desires. When you become a teacher, you start to want to cater to that, become more popular, especially if you make your living teaching, right? Because for someone like me, if I preach and you don't come back, I'm out of a job. 
And so my livelihood depends on people wanting to hear more of my teaching. And so there's a constant temptation to be formulating the things that I say in my sermons in such a way as to gain the approval of men. It's just a constant temptation, but it's a deadly sin. Galatians 1.10, listen to this. Paul said, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's quite a, quite a powerful statement. But it's true. Seeking the approval of men destroys the teacher's faith. Did you know you cannot believe and do that? At the same time, Jesus said that, John 5.44. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain praise that comes only from God? That is contradictory to faith. It is incompatible. Seeking honor from men is incompatible with faith. Every human being seeks honor. Every one of us, we do. We seek honor. That's good. That's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. The, the question is, do you seek it from God or do you seek it from men? Romans 2.7 says, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. You seek it from God, he'll give you glory and honor and eternal life. But if you seek it from men, you are not a servant of Christ. And that's hard because if you're if you're a faithful Bible teacher and you go verse by verse, you're going through the Scripture, you're teaching whatever it says, you're just teaching it, sooner or later, you're going to hit something and you're going to realize... If I teach this, that is not going to go over well. I preach this, we're going to lose some families. People are going to be upset with me. This is giving is going to drop. I mean, that happens all the time. And and it's in those moments when you find out whether you are working for the approval of God or working for the approval of men. On top of that, there's the fact that when you are a Bible teacher, You've got a lot of influence on people's lives. This is another reason why it's a temptation to pride. People, sometimes people come and they'll, they'll, they'll tell me this, they're make, they've made some huge, major life decision based on some little thing that I said in a sermon. And it's, it's frightening. Um, but you gotta realize, you know, a Christian, what is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who devotes his entire existence to doing whatever the Bible says. And their main way of finding out what the Bible says is through Bible teachers. And so Bible teachers have tremendous power and influence over people's lives. And so it's a temptation of pride. On top of that, for some people, it's really easy to fall in love with the attention you get when you're a teacher. You know, you tell a joke and a whole room full of people laugh. That can get pretty addicting pretty fast. If you say something and, and people grab a pen, it's like, wow, i got to write that down. That can stroke your ego. To have people think of you, of you as being wise and they come to you for advice and, and, and so many different aspects of being a teacher can so easily puff up the ego. And so, in fact, that's why Paul, that's why God gave Paul that thorn in his flesh, remember? It was to keep him humble. Without that thorn, even Paul would have been puffed up with pride. So when God gives you a gift of teaching and puts you in public spotlight, very often that will come along with some very major thorn, some terrible weakness that just stands as a constant humbling influence all the time. And so if that's what the teaching ministry is, constant temptation towards pride, even for the most humble men, then the last thing you want is people getting into the ministry who are already puffed up with pride. 
or, or, or who are susceptible to that. That's why you don't want new converts as, el- as elders. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 6, it says he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Notice, the, the concern isn't that he'll be a poor elder or that he won't do a very good job. He might do a great job. The concern is, the danger is, he might become proud. He'll get in there and he'll he'll look around at the other men and he'll say, "Wow, I've only been a believer, you know, five years. I've already made it up to this level with all these guys." And then they get puffed up. That was a problem in James' day. It's a problem in our day. There's a problem with there's a tendency to in our culture to overvalue leadership. People with extroverted public type gifts are admired. People with quiet, behind-the-scenes gifts are undervalued. If we give some big award or special honor to someone, typically it's not going to go to the person with the gentle, quiet spirit, even though that's what's of great worth in God's sight, right? We follow the world's lead and we give special honor to the people that are up front and they're visible. And you can see this in the way that people talk about their children. You can see this value. They they see their kids developing leadership skills, and they get all excited. Wow, look at him. He's such a leader. I mean, if we look at that biblically, he's such a leader, so what? Leaders are just another part of the body, right? They're just a body part. That's like, he's such a leader. That's like looking at your elbow. It's like, wow, look at that. That is such an elbow. You know? So what? Luke 22, 24, Jesus said, or I mean, um, uh, an, an event happened with Jesus where it says a dispute arose among them, uh, his disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who is, rules like the one who serves. See, in the world, leadership is lordship. In the church, leadership is servanthood. So people who have ambition for a title or position or glory for men, they need to be weeded out of the pool of potential teachers. They're not ready. If someone as spiritual as the Apostle Paul needed to be constantly tormented by a thorn in the flesh in order to keep him from getting puffed up with pride, chances are, The same is true of you and me. So what are the nagging thorns in your flesh that you have prayed numerous times for God to take them away, but they still persist? Have you ever considered the possibility that God allows you to have that much of a struggle in order to teach you humility? It might be a good use of five minutes right now to stop and consider what could you do to utilize the thorns in your flesh to learn humility. We know it's not automatic, right? Plenty of people struggle with all kinds of things but never learn humility. So what do you have to do? What kind of attitude or responses or preaching to your soul would help you take advantage of the things in your life that could potentially rescue you from pride? Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app. 
from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.